believe it. No. Now what if I could, what if I told you that you could do that same thing with an unknown future? What if I told you that you could still, in the face of an unknown future like we're all facing right now, COVID, election, Supreme Court nomination, the future, school, all of that, there's so much unknown we're facing right now, unparalleled in any of our lifetimes. But what if I told you that you could take some of those unknowns and actually make them known? See, that's what this theory, hope in uncertainty, is all about. Hope in uncertainty. It focuses on God's faithfulness when we look at an unknown future. And see, by trusting God and knowing His faithfulness, you can make some of your unknown future known. And see, we see an amazing example of this with the Israelites in the desert. We've been following the Israelites along in the desert out of Egypt for the last few weeks. And we see this happen right there in this story. But to really appreciate, to really appreciate this part of the Bible story, there's a concept that you have to understand. And this is a really important concept, especially for all of you parents and all of you aunties and all of you uncles and grandparents. It's pretty much is all of us and all of you. And to help understand this concept, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm actually going to invite Tom and Tommy up here to tell you about and explain this really important concept. Good morning. Uh, my name is Tommy, youth director of Thrive Youth Ministries, our youth ministries at Worldwide Church. Uh, quick shout out to my uh, Thrive team. Good morning to you guys. Uh, well, I'm, I'm super excited to be here with you guys this morning and uh, to share a little bit of insight into the topic that we're talking about today. And to start off, I want to introduce a new phrase for you guys. And that phrase is generational transference. Right? Can you guys say that with me? Generational transference, right? And I know that's a really big word right now to, uh, to kind of understand because it's early in the morning, uh, but I'm going to quickly define that for you guys. Generational transference, uh, transference is to transfer leadership of, of ministry and vision from one generation to another, right? Let me say that again. Generational transference is to transfer leadership of ministry and vision from one generation. Generation, a generational transference is like painting a picture and then teaching your kids to, to paint that same picture so that they can teach their kids to paint that picture. Generational transference is the way in which in 20 years, 30 years, the third and the fourth and the fifth generation home at Riverlife Church continues to see hope, healing, and growth. And it's through this transferring of leadership that we can empower our young folks our kids, our youth, to become our next leaders in the church, to be uh, our next uh, Pastor Greg, our next Kong, our next youth director, worship leaders, our volunteers. It's through generational transference. See, it's through this 
that the church can endure through the times and cultures that we face. And it's really important. But as important and essential as it is for the church's survival, generational transgression is something that does not come automatically. It's something that requires hard work and intentionality. It's something that comes from the current generation. As long as second James, we're responsible for making sure that our kids and the next generation will be here when it's time for them to take up our place in leadership in the church. And it kind of makes me wonder, right? We years from now, how will the generation say about life? Will they say that we were the generation that taught them how to love Jesus? And how to be devoted to them? Or would they say, Man, I wish they were there to tell me In order for generational transference to happen, it requires a lot of us to invest into the next generation. Because generational transference requires a full time faith. In the book of Deuteronomy, Israelites are about to enter into the promised land that God had prepared for them. And before they go in there, God gives them these instructions. Instructions to help them uh, uh, not make, make the same mistakes that their parents and their, their generation before them had made. And so in chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, God calls the Israelites to listen to them. And he says this, right? These commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart and press them. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the doorframes of your houses. Sitting at home, lying down, walking, eating, these are all ordinary everyday things, right? And why do you see someone post on Instagram or Facebook? Hey, highlight of the day, I'm sitting at home, right? Uh, but this Bible verse tells us two important truths, right? The first is that even the ordinary things in our lives can become moments that are impactful, transformative for the next one. And the second truth is this, that the teaching, uh, uh, the, teaching the next generation to love Jesus is something that needs to happen in every moment you shouldn't wait for the, uh, the next missions trip across the world. You shouldn't have to wait till Sunday to teach your kids. It happens in every moment that you're dressed. And I, if I was being honest, that's, that's pretty helpful. That takes a lot of energy. That takes a lot of time and intentionality. It's almost as if you're working full time. It's almost as if in order for generational transference to happen, you need to have a full-time faith that never takes you. This is the kind of faith that shows up on Monday, on Tuesday, Thursday, all the way to... It's the kind of faith that shows up when you're with family and friends, when you're watching TV or you're gaming. It's the kind of faith that is intertwined to every aspect of your life. Generational transference requires in our lives, we have a lot of ordinary moments. But the cool thing about this type of a 
every ordinary moment has the potential to become the most transformative, significant moment for the next I'm going to hand it over to Tom and he can share with us how do we do this? How does generational transference happen?
our lives need to be reflective of the whole gospel, the whole relationship with Jesus needs to be integrated in all aspects work, family, activity, hobby, finance, attitude, church, family. That is part of the revolution of the world. Primary caretakers really are the main influencers on spirituality, but they're not alone. They were never meant to be alone. So as the church, as the church, as the church, we now have the responsibility to come alongside them and participate in the ministry Thanks, guys. Generational transference. The ability to pass on faith and faithfulness to the next generation. But we're going to look at an example of this. We're going to look at an example of this. Because in Scripture, Moses, with the Israelites after they left Egypt, Moses was their leader, but he did not leave alone. He had a young apprentice, a padlock, named Joshua. And the force was strong in this one. Well, at least his faith in Yahweh God was strong in this one. And Joshua did almost everything, everything that Moses did. And it was amazing. See, Joshua started out as a young man commanding the army. And then he was with Joseph. I'm sorry, he was with Moses when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to hear from God. And he shadowed Moses when God spoke to him at the tent of meeting. And if you were here a couple weeks ago or you watched this online, and we talked about this idea that, that Joshua wanted a firsthand faith. He wanted to hear from God directly. And that was the beginning of this change we see in Joshua and his place in the story. See, Moses had been training him all along. And now it was his turn to shine. See, once the Israelites got closer to to the land that God promised them, the land of Canaan. See, 
Moses wanted to send out 12 spies, 12 people to do some recon work, to go check out what the land was like, check out the new land, and report back. And so that's where we pick up the story with Numbers 13. And it's on your handout, so you can read along with us on the back. So it's um, Numbers 13, starting with verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? And are they unwalled or fortified? How's the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Or, or poor? And are the trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. So those were Moses' instructions. He sent them off with that, 12 spies. And so this group spent 40 days in foreign territory. Talk about the unknown. They spent 40 days checking everything out, taking notes. They went through the land, the cities, the people, the fruit, and then they returned. And here's what happened. You can pick it up in verse 26 in the next section. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey, which was one of the promises that God spoke to them. It does flow with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. In fact, this is probably my favorite part of this. They brought a bundle of grapes that was so big, it took two people to carry it. Literally, the Bible describes, it took two people to carry this bundle of grapes. That's like, that makes Costco grapes look tiny. And, and, but that's what the land was. And so, okay, here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the, the cities are fortified and very large. See, that's what most of the scouts said. Yes, the land is great, but we can't beat, we can't defeat these people. These people were, will crush us. They're a land, they're a land of Gregs, and we're just an army of Nicoras. That was their report. And they were scared. And they said, we can't go in there. The people are too big and scary. And so in the next chapter, the people panic. They hear this report and they freak out. They weep out loud. They complain. They wail. They wish they were slaves back in Egypt. Like, how scared do you have to be that you would rather go back to slavery than step into something new? Okay? They almost staged a mutiny against Moses. That's how bad it all got. But then a familiar face steps forward. It's Joshua. And with him was another young leader named Caleb. Now prior to this, we don't know anything about Caleb, but we know about Joshua. So starting in the next passage in verse 6, we hear what Joshua says. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, 
the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will protect them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. See, Joshua saw the same thing. He saw the same thing as everyone, both Joshua and Caleb, as everyone else, but he had a different report. We all live under the same sky, but we don't all see the same horizon. Joshua and Caleb had a completely different outlook because they understood who God was. See, what's interesting is they both, both groups, the ten spies and the two spies, they made predictions about the future. We all make predictions about the future. But ten of them were convinced of their demise. Two of them knew there was victory. Why the difference? Why the difference between doom and gloom and victory and blessing? Well, see, at this point, we don't know anything about Caleb other than he was, a, he was a young man when this scenario was about to happen. But we know about Joshua. Joshua was directly trained, mentored, cared for by Moses. This was generational transference. This was Moses leading the next generation. Into the face of the unknown, Joshua focused on what was in the face of the unknown, Joshua focused on what was known. He remembered God's character. He remembered God's faithfulness. He remembered God's promises. The other ten, they forgot all that. But not Joshua and Caleb. See, ten were driven by fear. Two. We're driven by faith. Ten saw the size of their problems. Two saw the size of their God. Ten thought they had to save themselves. Two knew where their salvation came from. See, ten forgot all about God. All of their worries overwhelmed them. The same thing. last six months, have your worries overwhelmed you in the last week? Have your worries overwhelmed you? Do you see giants too big to defeat? Do you see giants that you just simply can't conquer until you give in? Do you see walls too high to overcome?
we have forgotten something about God. God's character, God's faithfulness, God's power, God's sovereignty. That's what good worry overtakes us. We have forgotten something about the Lord that helps us What do you need to remind be reminded of? What today, right now, would you like God to impress on your heart, on your mind, remind you that you need to give to? God is a speaking God and a revealing God, and He wants to speak to you. He wants to remind you of something you have forgotten. That's one thing for me to talk, and for you to talk, and for us to talk. And that's part of church. But you know what? That's not what church is. For you to share what God is speaking to you today, right now. For you to encourage someone else who's going through what you're going through. So, we've got two questions for our sharing time. What have you forgotten about God? Maybe we can use this today to remind you of something. Maybe God's been like placing it on your heart and you'd like to share it with others. So that's one question. The other, for all you parents, aunties, uncles, grandparents, what is something you 